This morning is Sunday, February 5th, 2023. And you guys have known for weeks that the message this morning will be called Bending the Bow. Yeah. Look, we even put it on a slide for you. Look, we live in extraordinary times, and the gracious hand of our God has revealed to us his next steps for this community. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. This morning, we're following up on the Balkan bow message and revelation. We want to show that you that picture again from there in the north in Cluj, Romania, all the way down to Saranda, Albania, that this is the Balkan bow that we've been speaking to you about. You will remember that none of our targets have changed. We are still going after the biblical world. We're still aiming for the Aswan region. Yeah. We will still bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. Yeah. Can I get an amen, Hebron? Yeah. And, somebody say and. 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 We know that the next step in this progression must begin in Eastern Europe. Romania, Albania, Jakarta, Peru, Crystal Lake, Denton, Houston, Denham Springs, Virginia. We can do more than one thing at one time. I want to show you a picture. There's a much bigger plan, and Jerusalem will always be our aim. The truth is, we're going to form bows in the four corners of the earth, but they're all going to have the same target. Now, when you're looking at that, look, somebody say moreover. Moreover. This God-breathed venture can only be accomplished through multiple churches across different countries that act as a singular body having different facets of a singular vision. The one association has been well-positioned for this great endeavor. After all, we've kind of been working at this kind of unity for decades now. Our logo, just look at our logo for a minute. Our logo has always featured the phrase, one spirit, one body, one kingdom. We're few in number, but we're actually one in purpose. So whether you're listening online or you're sitting here, this is the basis from which we have to approach the Balkan bow. The one association is well positioned for this. In addition to that, LCM is well positioned for this spiritual campaign. Yeah, you are! In fact, our God has been giving us the building blocks for over two decades now, and he's not going to stop now. Amen. We as your pastors are positioned well for this mission, given that the Lord has been developing us together for over 30 years. You guys are getting old. <laughs> we put the old in old fossils. Case in point, when you see the Sutherlands, I mean, look at them. This family, gaze upon them. This family is called to equip and empower God's people for their works of service. And it's not hard to envision the wooden arch that forms the structure of the bow and how it relates to the Sutherland family. You know, when you consider the Piros, 
It also, I mean, they're called to propel people into the presence of God. If the Sutherlands are the arch, check out those legs and that sway back. <laughs> Certainly these guys are the string. They propel. All right now. When you see the Stevens family who are called to confront people with the reality of the kingdom. Anybody ever been confronted with the reality of kingdom dealing with the Stevens? See, it's not hard to envision those arrows coming into direct, violent, and purposeful contact with the dead bullseye of a target. Amen. Hey, you, you know what? We have something for you guys this morning. We have good news for you this morning. Well, yeah! You, as members of this body, are positioned well for this holy quest. Look, after all. You've been practicing the bending of the bow since the day you arrived up in this church and community. So this morning, of course, we're going to be discussing bending the bow. But I want you to take a moment and have a deep breath. You ready? Breathe in. Now go ahead and breathe out. I'm not going to tell the Lamaze joke that happened all those years ago, Jim. <laughs> what an interruption that was. No, it was not Miss Jim. We're in a time of supernatural leading, and it's obvious. The hand of our Father, the Father of glory, is upon us. This is not pressure for you. This is not tension. Trust me, that is still to come, and it will. But that's not what this is today. You're about to find out, shockingly, that you already have all that you need. We're just going to gain more clarity into our presently existing practices and what we must continue to do in the coming years. As always, clarity and foundational truth begins in the Word of God, specifically the law. So you're going to want to turn in your actual Bibles that are there in your lap to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to read this together and you're going to look at Deuteronomy 4 in a very, very different light after today, I can assure you. We also have it on a slide for you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, it says this. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. Yes. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Amen. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire into the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. There are five phrases. Somebody say five phrases. Five that stood out to us about this passage. And each of them should be an encouragement and instruction for you. They're an encouragement for you because this describes what you are presently doing. They are instruction for you because they will continue to define you for decades to come. Hey, if you haven't figured it out yet, 
you're going to want to get very familiar with that slide. Mark it in your Bible. Highlight those phrases. Matthew's going to go over them for you again. This message is based on that slide because that is the instruction given in the law of God. So here are the five elements of bending the bow that we are going to cover this morning. One, keep your soul diligently. Two, make them known to your children and your children's children. Three, gather the people to me. Four, that they may teach their children so. Five, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. Let's take a look at the first facet as we start bending the bow. The normal Christian's response to revelation like we're having is to ask, what can I do? The answer to that question begins and is dependent upon this first phrase. Has anybody asked, well, what can I do? How can I be supportive? Yeah, yeah, I've been hearing it. Let's, let's say it plainly. The first step is keep your soul diligently. Now, everybody wants to do something simple, like give money to the mission. And look, there's going to be a time for all of that. But let's just imagine that all of you that raised your hands a minute ago pledged thousands of dollars every single month, but you do not keep your soul diligently. Then where would we be in March? You won't keep your commitments and the work won't get done anyway. The first phrase, keep your soul diligently, is everything for what comes after it. The body, this body, is full of men that have learned to keep their soul diligently. The specific instruction in the text of Deuteronomy is, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. As a church body, we're all benefiting from obedience to this command. Most of you have dedicated some section of a wall in your house, some section of your heart, to remembering the testimony that the Lord has built in your family. Didn't we spend weeks together reinforcing this concept in the Remember series back in 2021? Yes. The first step in keeping your soul diligently is to remember. Church, it's hard to believe, but this was back in May and June of 2021 where we had the Remember series. You, you will see this slide, and I hope you, in fact, remember. It starts off, a supernatural testimony always begins with the first remember. You're going to remember the day that you stood in the Lord's presence, where that supernatural transformation actually occurred in your life. Then you move to remember that you were a slave. You had no choice. You were bound to these things, but then he brought you out. Oh, yeah. See, now you're starting to remember a little bit, aren't you? What did he do? He brought, brought you, you out. out there. So you remember step three, what the Lord did to Pharaoh and moreover. moreover. Oh, y'all are starting to get it. Say it again. Moreover. Moreover, what the Lord will do to all of your enemies that still remain. Even in Eastern Europe. Even in Eastern Europe. Step four is to remember how the Lord, your God, has led you every step of the way. Step five, you remember that the Lord, your God, gives you the ability. He gives you the koach. And so he confirms his covenant with you. After those five amazing remembers, 
You know what else you got to remember? That you have provoked the Lord and you've been rebellious the whole time. It's true. It's so true. But isn't that, isn't that great? You've already got five other remembers and it makes it so easy to acknowledge the sixth remember. And then the seventh one, Lord, remember, overlook our stubbornness. We are your people, your inheritance, and the, what you are doing in us is a divine sign of your supernatural ability to be able to transform us over and over and over again. See, most of you have this displayed in your homes. It's written in your Bibles or documented in your OneNote, and more importantly, it's stamped on your heart. The Balkan bow. This revelation is one more item in this growing testimony, and we're going to need to continue to keep your soul diligently, lest we forget what our eyes have actually seen. Notice that nothing is being taken away from any aspect of God's revelation, but rather it is growing even as we are growing as a church. Look, the Lord has overlooked our stubbornness. And forgiven our rebellion. In fact, he is entrusting us with more steps in his plan to take back the nations. And to redeem his people Israel. Hallelujah! In the kingdom, the most important thing that we can do, the thing, the thing that leads to all future things, is to keep your soul diligently. You've been given the tools and the instruction and this is the same thing that Paul says and gives to Timothy. So 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Look, our obedience to keep your soul diligently, it will save us from error. It will save us from lost time and generating works of straw, stubble, and hay. This quality, and get this, that we already possess is the preeminent qualification for ministry and proof that the grace of God has enabled us to participate in his work on a global level. Stand back and think about that. The beginning of a global work starts with you keeping your soul diligently. But what's nice is that's firmly within your grasp. You're already practicing it. You're already doing it. So more than money, more than neatly packaged programs, dynamic talents, or any other thing, this starts with the continued commitment to keep your soul diligently. This is done by remembering God's word and workings in your life. Would you like to look at the next element of bending the bow? Again, you're going to find out that you already possess this and need to continue in it. The next element, make them known to your children and your children's children. Look, the truth is, is that Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 11 mentions children in the Hebrew text four times in only three verses. That's that's. That's getting our emphasis on the right syllables, okay? LCM is a community full of men who make them known to your children and your children's children. Now, here's a question. How interesting is it 
that the masculine plural pronoun in this sentence is the word them. It doesn't refer to children. It refers to what you're making known. And in the context of this passage, it refers to the law and the things that you personally have seen, like the word and the testimony. Church, we're a body that keeps our soul diligently, a body that remembers the testimonies of the Lord. And we make them known to our children and our children's children. When we share both what Adonai has said in his word and what he has done in us honestly, it's very much like sharing the actual personage of Jesus Christ with our children. It's like sharing with them what he did and what he taught to you personally so that they can expect the same. In this passage, the law and its effects of the law are referred to them by the personal pronoun them, as if two things were acting in plural unity and with a singularity. That's interesting. It's very much like the word and the spirit are acting as one thing. We're supposed to make them known to our children. So we have a responsibility. We even have a charge to make sure that our children, and where are the old people at? Like me, grandchildren, yes. know Jesus intimately by making them known to our children. In other words, making known both what Jesus has said to you in your life and what he has done with what he said through his word to you. Our children must know that, and this will ensure something is carried forward. See, we want to make sure that you get this concept. We know it's a deep uh, thought, and it requires some, some more time for it to really sink in. But there's a Newer Testament phrase here that puts this, making them known to your children. It puts it into perspective in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's go there together. We're going to be spending a lot of time together in Acts. I love it. Acts 1, 1 says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on now. See, the book of Acts is the story of Jesus' actions and teachings being continued through his body after him. This is a big picture fulfillment of make them known to your children and your children's children. Of course, Jesus didn't have natural children, but he did have disciples. The constant recounting of all that Jesus did and taught made him known to generations in his body after him. It is our job to do this first with our natural sons and daughters, but also with every supernatural son entrusted to the family of God. Amen. Church, we can see that both your actions and teachings, which are in agreement with one another, are being carried forward by everyone in your household and in the disciples that you are lavishing your time on. The impact of the Word of God in you has made it into your daily practice in every area of your life. Those practices are now being passed along to your children and your children's children. Think about that for a second. If you accomplish nothing else in your entire life, I mean nothing else, this alone 
the fact that you are passing them along would make you a raving success in the kingdom of God. But we got even better news. That's not all that you're accomplishing. No, no, that's not all. That's just the foundation. So in light of that, we will keep your soul diligently. And we'll do this by remembering. We will also make them known to your children and your children's children. We will do this through constant retelling of the testimony of the Lord and the word of the Lord at work in our own lives. We will ensure that our generations are focused on what the Lord has revealed. We will disciple our own children in this very regard. That means our own work within our own families continues even when we're grandparents. Oh, come on. That's, that's good news. Yeah. If we have a responsibility for what the Word has said to us and what the Word has done in us, and it must go not only to our children, but to their children, then you don't finish until you die. Amen, Charlie Brown? There is work ahead of us, meaningful work, serious work for the rest of our lives. So let's look at our next element of bending the bow. Gather the people to me. The LCM, you are a family that is full of men that gather the people to the Lord. The specific reason for this statement in the text is to let them hear my, meaning the Lord's words, so that, so that they may learn to fear me, the Lord. Church, you've learned to gather people to experience the word of the Lord just as you have experienced the word of the Lord. In fact, you have learned to set the table in the presence of the Lord. As your pastors, we love this about you because many men that have had an impact with experiences in their own life and with the Lord choose to make themselves special or unique by treating the experience as if it were exclusive or the result of their own specialness. Do, do you know what we mean by that? Somebody gets a revelation, and somehow or another, that revelation over time becomes, hey, God gave me this because I'm so extraordinary. And this ever so not subtle message that everybody else gets is, this is a great teacher, this is a great man of God, but none of us will ever rise to that. Right. You know what's true about you? You do the exact opposite. Amen. And you invite every other man to hear for themselves and have the same experience that you have had. You know what this is? This is godly. This is selfless. This is highly effective in the kingdom. It is an element of bending the bow. Clearly from the passage, this was the practice of Moses, who also wished every one of God's people to be prophets, as he states it in Numbers 11. And it's also the practice of David, as mentioned in Acts chapter 13, when it says, of whom it is said that he has a heart like God's. We are a body that wants others to experience for themselves what we have experienced in the Lord's presence. This is why we gather people to him, or in other words, set the table in his presence. Are y'all beginning to get it? That God's been giving us pieces of this for many, many years? Look, turn in your Bible to Psalm 34 for a second. 
We're not going to get a chance to teach Psalm 34, but I want to give you an outline. You can look at it later, and I'm going to highlight a few aspects of it for you. When you're looking at Psalm 34, the first seven verses are David preaching his testimony. You could think of the first seven verses as David preaching his testimony. Then when you look at verses 8 through 10, David is expressing the preacher's desire. He's telling them what he desires for his audience. When you look at verses 11 through 14, David is giving an altar call to his audience. When you, when you then move to verses 15 through 18, David is extolling Adonai's character to everyone who responded to his message. Then the psalm finishes with a reminder, LCM style, in verses 19 through 22, of the seriousness of counting the cost for the decision they just made. Yeah. Now, that's an overview of Psalm 34. I want to put this in perspective for what we're talking about, though. When we're talking about bending the bow by gathering the people to the Lord. Psalm 34, beginning in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. How often? Continually. How often? Continually. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Can you guys hear the extent to which King David is making sure that he keeps his own soul diligently? Yeah. Now look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This is really interesting because David is addressing his children and his children's children. And look what it is that he shares with them. It picks up in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all of his troubles. Sounds like David's going through the Remember series with his kids. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Not only is David watching his own soul diligently, but he's also making known what the Lord has done for him and what the Lord has said to him. He's making them known to his children and his children's children. Now look at what's next. Are y'all still with me? Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. While David's been speaking to his own household, by the time he's making this appeal for his desire... He's talking to all who would become a saint. He's making an invitation to the people. David is bending the bow by gathering people to the Lord. It began with his own household, but then he begins to include others. You know, when you guys learn to set the table of the Lord's presence, it's not just in your home. It's wherever you go. Look, we're audacious. We wear cowboy hats and fur coats in the middle of liberal Europe on purpose. We gather a crowd wherever we go, and then we invite them to taste and see 
how good our God is. We don't tell them we've had amazing experiences and they can't have them. We share the experience that we have and make sure every man knows they are invited to taste of the exact same experience. LCM, we love that you are men who gather other families to taste and see just as you have tasted and seen. You're not sharing somebody else's experience. You're sharing what you have tasted and you have seen. This is resulting in men who take refuge in the Lord. Men who fear the Lord as you fear the Lord. Men who lack no good thing. In other words, you've invited men to experience your experience with the Lord. And this teaches them to become what you are. And you know what? It's working. It's working all over the globe. There are people that will watch this sermon in other countries online solely because they've met us. And they want to experience the Lord as we have. In fact, our audience has always been much larger outside this room than inside this room. That's because you're gathering men to experience what you've experienced. This is a pattern, and the pattern is repeatable in every country that we go to, everywhere in the world. And do you know what we're going to do? We're going to repeat the pattern everywhere. In repeating this pattern, you are bending the bow. Let's look at the next element of bending the bow. We're going to look at it together on the slide. That they may teach their children so. 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 Now, at first glance, this may appear to be repetitive. But it is an entirely unique and it is an extremely rare thing in our day and time. Now, consider. Let us help you to piece this together in this process of bending the bow. Consider this progression, okay? LCM. Keeps our soul diligently. Yeah, we do. Step two. LCM makes them known to your children and your children's children. Yeah, we do. Step three. LCM gathers the people to the Lord. You know that's right. Come on now. Now step four. That they may teach their children so. Wow, now you, you just got it. I heard, no, I heard they get 80%. It? Did, did, did you help us out? Did you get it or not? The people that you've gathered learn to do with their children what they've seen you do with your own. See, we want to remind you here at this point. We want to point it out. Deuteronomy 4 mentions children, the word children, four times in three verses. It's almost like the Lord is helping us to get our eyes focused on the right thing. See, a bow is a long-range instrument. Yeah. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. It is not enough for us to teach our own children. That's where we've got to start, but we've got to gather men to the Lord and teach them to teach their children what we know. See, LCM, we are constantly transitioning leadership through the generations. We will make other men great in the Talmudim process because as impressive as your walk may be. And it is impressive. And it is impressive. The important part is that you are teaching other men to imitate and then magnify what they see you doing. 
The men that you are gathering to the Lord to hear his word will do as you do in teaching their children so, but will start earlier and they're going to increase in the intensity. In this way, the words of revelation will become manifested reality in your life. Everybody turn to Revelation chapter 14 and say, bending the bow as you turn. We're going to pick up in verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. LCM, the day you die will be blessed because your deeds will follow you in the men that you taught to do as you have done. Come on, somebody. Those men will complete what you initiated. Those men will bring glory to the king by continuing what you showed them how to do. These men will swing the sickle in the full and ripe harvest of the end time. And it will be because they watched you do it first. This makes your life one of significance and meaning. Because your effect will not end when your labors are done. Oh, come on, man. In the secular world, what people are always looking for is what's called passive income. That they can work for a little while, work really hard, and then if they're getting fat, lazy, and drinking Mai Tais on a beach somewhere, the income just keeps growing. That's what they're always... We have found out in the kingdom how to have our deeds move forward even when our labor is done. That is so much better than passive income. What God has done in you, if you recount it, if you retell it, if you keep sharing the word and you start with your children and focus on their children, but also gather men to you and teach them to do the same thing, this will carry forward in a much longer range than you could possibly imagine. This is what we will do as a group of one association churches. Look, when your days are done and your labor is complete, you will have created living epistles. Just as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 2. Living epistles in these men that ate at the table of the Lord's presence because you gathered them there. They will then set out because you demonstrated it for them. And of course, and absolutely, they will settle in new lands, just as God has told us. The best part, though, is, is that they will be able to reproduce everything that they've seen demonstrated and magnify what you've imparted into them. Are you beginning to get it? Let's look at the fifth element. Of bending the bow. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. LCM, this is the phrase that triggered the entire word. It's entirely possible that this is just poetic language. That means that the mountain burned with fire all the way up to the sky. That's how the net puts it, but the net's wrong. <laughs> the Spirit illuminated the phrase, burned with fire, 
to the heart of heaven, to us concerning you. Somebody say he's talking about me. He's talking about me. You are the men that have come near to the Lord, and he has come near to you just as James 4, 8 promised. Is anybody in this house nearer to the Lord today than they were years ago? LCM, you are the men that have stood at the foot of the mountain to hear and obey the word of God just as they did in Exodus 24-7. Are you more obedient to the word now than you were five years ago? Yes, this is speaking of you. This body has positioned itself near the mountain that burns with fire to the heart of heaven. So this body has been set ablaze with the heart of heaven. Come on, somebody. Do you have the heart of heaven? Do you have a fervor and a spiritual fire? Well, then I'm talking to you. We could spend hours talking about how mountains in the Bible are really nations. We probably should. We could discuss how this mountain represents all that Adonai has promised to do for his people Israel. And we probably should. We could discuss Pentecost and how Adonai again kindled this fire all the way up to heaven in men's hearts standing in Jerusalem. But it's not necessary for us to cover that for you. Because you're teachers and prophets in your own right. Men and women that God is giving revelation to all over this body. And if he doesn't give you personal insight into that, it's okay. We're about to spend 30 weeks in the book of Acts. And I will most certainly teach it to you at that time. For now, somebody say right now. Right now. Let's just say that you're drawing near to the Lord and you're standing on the mountain has caused you to burn with fire to the very heart of heaven. And we as pastors, we say it's glorious in our sight. We love what is happening in this body. It started a long time ago, but it is growing in pitch. It is growing in height. It is growing in veracity every day. You are the precursors. You are the portent. You are the sign of all that God will do in the generations following you. And... He is going to fulfill a prophecy that he gave to Jeremiah. And he's going to do it through you. Would y'all like to know what that is? Do, do you have the moxie to be able to say, God can fulfill a prophecy through me? That didn't sound like moxie. Do you have the moxie to say? Jeremiah 3.15. I want you to engage this. Okay, because it's a promise for you. This is God speaking. And he says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. Pastor, what on earth are you talking about? Well, I'm glad that you want to know. The Lord did not promise that he would give them a shepherd. This is not about Jesus coming to Israel. He promised that he would give them shepherds in the plural. And that is exactly what this community is building. 
shepherds that will be sent into the nations to make even more shepherds. When you transfer what God has done in you to your children and they to their children, and you gather men to yourself and teach them to do the same, you are fulfilling God's promise that there will again be shepherds on the hills in Israel, and you are doing the work now for what will be then. Come on, man, that's bending a bow. LCM, your walk with the Lord. Well, it's not producing men that sit around with folded hands and long for the good old days. As if there were something in the past that no one could possibly hope to reproduce. No, your walk is and will produce men that burn with the fires of heaven. And they experience unparalleled days in every generation. They will experience these things because they learn to do what they see you doing, and it's expected that they magnify it. Yeah? You burn with holy fire. You burn with holy fire up to the very heart of heaven. And as we bend this bow, that's what we will produce. Men and women that burn in their hearts with the very heart and fires of heaven. Somebody say amen. amen. Do you want that? Yeah. All I'm doing is looking at where you are at now and telling you in advance what it will produce because we can see it everywhere. Church, when you think about bending the bow, about being a people that are burning with a holy fire, I can remember the very first One Association meeting. We were actually talking about some of those pre-One Association meetings this morning, thinking back on what God has done. But in the very first one association meeting, this quote from Jonathan Wesley that was to the effect of, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. Yeah, Rick Lohan made those shirts in his garage. The one, that, just like what Steve Thomas is wearing, a man who is standing there in the center of this all, set ablaze and other people coming to watch him burn. Church, the Lord has kindled a fire here in this house. Can somebody say amen? amen? And we want to tell you today that every other church in the One Association has watched it. They've done more than watch it. They've imitated it. Yes. They're doing more than just imitating. They are now reproducing it even as we speak today. Oh, come on. Give the churches of the One Association a hand. As fired up as you are, they are hot on your heels in every regard. In fact, we've learned that there's no diacrino between us. That's right. God has successfully transferred the heart of this house into every one of those houses. Church, let's review some of the elements of bending the bow because they have been working in our midst. I mean, they are already at work. They're going to continue to work in our midst. And this is going to be true in every nation that we go to, including the Balkans. Take a look at this slide and let us help you with this. Bending the bow. The very first step is to keep your soul diligently. Then you make them known to your children and your children's children. Then you gather people to the Lord that they may teach their children so. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the very heart 
of heaven. This is what the Lord has already shown us. Can you appreciate that for a second? This is what the Lord has already shown us. This is what we are already doing. You mean that us bending the bow is a process that we've already been working on? Yes, because that's our great father and how he works. This is going to be what we continue to do into the generations ahead. And moreover, somebody say moreover. Moreover. We are only going to do it with more people over greater distances with more churches and in more countries. Church, you already know how to bend the bow. We're just going to start aiming further than ever before. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're actually going to see how far we can pull that string back without breaking the bow. But since God gave it to us, it can't be broken. The bow will bend, but we will not. <laughs> Look, we have something for you. I think they're done, Matt. I, they, they seem done today. They gave them five points. We can give them a poem and go home. Do y'all want the rest of the message or are you done? All right, well, this continual flow running out of the building, maybe we could bring that to a, to a screeching halt. Give us all of your concentration for a minute because we're talking about life's most important things and a good 20 people have run from the room. I get it. I'm trying not to throw up myself and I don't want to be on YouTube for that reason. But if we could just exert a little bit of the kind of courage, moxie, intestinal fortitude that we're preaching about and that you already possess, I bet we could get through this message with your full attention. Amen. You guys have intestinal fortitude. And keep your not your... everybody does, Matt. Some, not in this room. But I, I learned recently Tell us. that not everybody who is atomically male is wow. actually atomically male. Wow. Some people were simply given a leathery purse where they carry their ovaries. But not in this that, house. No. Not in this no. house. That, that's in the Ungabunga house. In this house, in this house, we're going to learn seven very practical elements of how we bend this bow. Are you ready for these seven practical elements? All right, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 13 and say, bending the bow as you turn. We're educating you about all things in life this morning. Look, we will do whatever it takes to hold your attention. Are you there? Physically, mentally, and spiritually, are you there? Yeah. Verse 13. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. With our first of the seven practical steps here, I want you to realize that each of us will become fathers in the, in the faith to existent and to future kings. Oh, come on now. Existent and future kings. We're not talking about raising up minions. We're not talking about a neat little group of interns that can carry your bag. 
No, what we do in this house is we lay our hands on the hands of present and future kings. That's how we see you. That's how you'll see others. And that is how we will bend this bow. Let's give you one more facet of clarity about this. Each of us will put our hands on their hands until they have learned to do what we do. And even until they have learned how to magnify what they see us doing. Are y'all with us so far? It's going to get even better, and we'll summarize it on a slide so it can't be missed by anybody. Verse 17, and he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elijah said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Islam, oh, I'm sorry, Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. Church, we want to tell you that a great window has opened for us and it faces the east. This begins in the Balkans, but it will eventually include every nation in the Aswan region until we reach the target of Jerusalem. Amen. Nothing about what we're saying is limiting our vision. It is expanding it on a global scale. Many of you know that the king in this story was plagued by limited effort, limited vision, limited follow-through. In this house, we will keep our soul diligently and make these things known to our children and their children, and we will gather men to ourselves in the presence of the Lord so they can teach their children. And do you know what that's going to do? It means that we will never have insufficient arrows. We will never have too few arrows or too light of a passion to accomplish this task. In this story, the king stopped short. We will not stop short. Amen. To accomplish this, it's very simple. We're going to continue to come near to the mountain. We're going to take our stand on the mountain. And we will burn with fire to the very heart of heaven. Now, church, we want to make sure that you understand and get this practical aspect here from 2 Kings. So we put it on a slide for you. We put our hands on the hands of present and future kings. Oh, Miss Randy, are you listening? Those little boys in your house are not little boys. They are present and future kings. That is where we are aiming. That is where we are putting our hands. And we're going to teach every other person that we gather to do exactly the same. Y'all ready for practical aspect number two? That was already worth the price of admission right there. But let's look at Genesis 9 together. Genesis 9, and we're going to go to verse 16. And listen to what it says in the ESV. When the bow is in the clouds. The word here in Hebrew is not a rainbow. The word in Hebrew is, it's a bow that's in the clouds. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Church, there is a bow that it's in the clouds. 
The homosexuals and that agenda cannot take it and pervert it to mean something it doesn't because it's a bow that's standing in the clouds. See, for this entire bending of the bow process to work, <laughs> and, and it, it will, will work, the bow that is forming must remain in the cloud of witnesses and the cloud of God's glory, the cloud of his Holy Spirit with his targets in mind. Whose targets are in mind? We don't get to pick the targets. He does, and he's concerned with all men. Come on, that's a good word. The Lord is aiming at every nation on the earth, and the king of all kings will have kings from every nation dedicated to his cause. Can you feel what we're saying, Cody Stevens? Hey, what will he have from all nations? Kings. That's why we lay our hands on present and future kings. There is this line in discipleship sometimes where you learn to admire those that are teaching you and slowly begin to think that you will not become what they are. I'm saying when we disciple men, you have to tell them presently they are your match. You have to tell them in the future they will be greater than you. We are raising present and future kings, and that bow is set in the clouds because God's eye is on all men, and he picks our target. Church, we've been instructed to start in the Balkans, and we know that Turkey will follow, but we also know that every nation will come to the throne of Messiah in Jerusalem. Yes! See, we are never going to be myopic. God set his bow in the clouds in the sight of all men. And we are embarking on a generational task. And this is simply our next step, the Balkan bow. And we're going to bend it with all of our might and keep doing it until God's will is accomplished. We're going to keep moving forward in practical aspects. But I want you to put some of these pieces together. The Balkan bow is not the entire plan. In fact, there's already a bow forming in Indonesia. There is already a bow, bow forming in Peru. I've been working on a proto-bow in India for more than a decade. We are gonna hit this from every corner of the world and the target is always Jerusalem. But we know for sure that God has given us the next step in a much bigger plan and we will not fall short of doing it. Look, isn't it comforting to know that God has given us the next step in his plan? Are you still filled with tenacity and courage? All right, we have a slide that summarizes what we've highlighted from Genesis 9. God set his bow in the clouds in the sight of all men. Now as we move to our next one, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 22 and say, bending the bow. Verse 35. He trains my hands for war. Get this, pay attention with me closely. So that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. I'll say it again. So that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Church, these are things that we already know and are doing. But let's say it one more time just so that we get it deep. So that my arms can bend a bow. We've been training. And we are well prepared for this. But we're not going to let up now. He has trained. He is training, and he will train our arms for even greater distances being shot, and God will accomplish it through our generations. So the practical element that we are summarizing is on a slide, 2 Samuel 22. 
He trains my hands for war so my arms can bend a bow. You have been trained. You are being trained. And more training is coming because we're already bending this bow. We're just learning to go further and further in long-range artillery. Now, while we're in the books of Samuel, I want to hit 1 Samuel 18, verses 3 through 4. Somebody say bow when you get there. Stir up some holy fire in here for yourselves. Are you going to get it done? Do you have the fire of heaven? 1 Samuel 18, 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Church, we're in covenant with both God and men. And that's because God wants to benefit other men through the covenant that you now have. We love the present and future kings that God gives us. We love them as we love our own soul. When I see Brian Wilson in Chicago, I don't see a young man. I don't see an inferior man. I don't see a man who only recently got married. I see a present and a future king that I must love with my whole soul as I love my own soul. That is how we move forward. The bow, somebody say the bow. The The bow. bow. The bow the Lord is entrusting us with actually belongs to the present and future kings our hands are on. You got it? No part of this calling is for you. Everybody listening online, nothing that we are talking about belongs to you. It is all for the next generation. Man, that's incentive to get our house in order, isn't it? Now, you ready for it? We must strip ourselves to put that bow in their hands. We must divest ourselves of pride. We must divest ourselves of material things. We must divest ourselves in every way because this is all about putting a bow in the hands of the next generations. Church, this bending of the bow, we're giving you these practical aspects. And what Pastor said is so good, we put it on a slide for you to make sure that you grasp it. It says, the bow belongs to the future kings. What incredible insight, and don't lose how important these practical aspects are for our everyday life and for achieving everything that God has through the generations. We're going to look at Genesis 48. Y'all haven't had enough yet, have you? Genesis 48 in verse 21 says this, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, somebody say, moreover. Moreover. I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. See, every region taken for the glory of God with the bow he provided us will be the inheritance of our sons. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that again. There's, there's fatigue setting in on your heart or something. But listen to what I'm saying. We're gonna wake up. Every region 
taken for the glory of God with the bow that he provided us will be the inheritance for our sons. The global campaign is a generational process. It requires you to teach your own children and their children. It requires you to gather men and to teach them to teach their children. See, men will only do this kind of sacrificial work if they are truly burning with fire that reaches to the heart of heaven. Is this you? Do you burn with fire to the heart of heaven? Oh, come on, commit yourself to that position. Accept nothing less than that in your life. It's not you hope to. It's that you are. And if you stand here and you feel like you're lying when you say that, then let's remedy it. Because faith calls the things that are not as though they were. It literally makes it come into existence. And that is very much up to us. Do you burn with the fires of heaven? Good, we have a slide now. From Genesis 48, land taken by the bow belongs to the sons. It is not about us. It is about them. And what God has entrusted into your hands is to be put inside of theirs. We not only give them the bow, we give them all the land that we took with the bow during our lives. As we move on to our next one in Genesis 49, we're going to pick up in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Let's connect some dots. Joseph was a son taught by his father Jacob. Jacob was a son taught by his father Isaac. Isaac was a son taught by his father Abraham. We will keep our souls diligently so that our hands are unmoved in this process. But more importantly, the hands of our sons' sons will be immovable in the face of adversity. So we put it on a slide for you, and we want you to see it just because we're trying to burn this into your very soul. Genesis 49, the hand that holds the bow must remain unmoved, even in the face of adversity. I love this one because it's like my only spiritual gift. When you're a stubborn human being and God consecrates that stubbornness, it turns into joyful immovability. Oh, enemy, I hear you. I might even agree with you, but I'm still not moving. (laughs) This is how we get this done. Y'all ready for another one? First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1. And this is our seventh. Now, these are the men who came to David at Ziklag. While he could not move about freely... Because of Saul, the son of Kish. I don't know. Something else wants to roll off my tongue there. But it's not his mama's fault. He's the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. 
They were bowmen and could shoot arrows and sling stones with either the right or the left hand. They were Benjamites, Saul's kinsmen. Look, in today's environment, which is kind of a carnal circus, even though it masquerades as the church of God, the talented teachers, the elegant preachers, the wealthy worms and the gifted guys, they're thought of as the mighty men. They sell the books, they occupy the TV sets, they're on the radios. What we know through the revelation of God's word and from our own experience with you is that the truly mighty men are the bowmen. See, when you spend your life making others great, that makes you mighty. When we lay our hands on these present and future kings, when hands were laid on you as a present and future king, when we're talking about doing this, well, they're often indebted. <laughs> they're often distressed. They're often discontent. But that means that they only have one concern in life. They are going to make present and future kings. It is the bowmen that are truly mighty men in the kingdom because they're the only ones that are actually focused on expanding the kingdom into the generations rather than their own kingdom and their own lives. We're going to bend this bow, church. We are bending this bow. Do you know why? Because we are bowmen. Nothing that we've done in this church or the churches of the One Association is about appearing to be mighty. It is all about magnifying those coming after us. That makes us bowmen. And that's one of the reasons that you felt the anointing that you did in this room this morning. We are in the vein of God's heart. We're actually burning with fire all the way up to the heart of heaven because we're aiming at what God is aiming at. We are mighty men because we make other men mighty. Let us help you grasp this seventh aspect, this seventh practical aspect on this slide. Bowmen are the truly mighty men, and that's what this house is raising up in spades. Look, we want to show you all seven of the practical aspects of what it is to be bowmen. We, want, we even put it on a singular slide to help you out. The practical aspects. We put our hands on the hands of present and future kings. God set his bow in the clouds in the sight of all men. He trains my hands for war so my arms can bend a bow. The bow belongs to the future kings. Land taken by the bow belongs to the sons. The hands that hold the bow must remain unmoved. And finally, bowmen are the truly mighty men in the kingdom of heaven. These seven practical steps make it clear of how we're bending the bow. Well, as we move to a close, we need to consider kings and future kings that did not master the elements of bending the bow and failed to implement the practical aspects of a bowman. So let's all turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. What we're about to do is consider failure. 
But it's the only time that we're going to consider it. I'm sorry, guys. I said chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 1. Picking up in verse 17. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son, Jonathan. And he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar. Both Saul and Jonathan were mighty men who had mighty callings, but they also had fatal flaws that they failed to overcome. At this altar, we're going to overcome them because we are bowmen. Saul, he was focused only on himself. He had an evil eye toward all future kings. Saul simply did not seek to make other men better than himself. Now, none of you in this room are Saul. But you may have a Saul-like tendency to be concerned mostly with how something will affect you. Here's how you can detect it. If you catch yourself constantly using words like me and my, you may have a Saul tendency. If you tend to see visions as separate rather than singular, a Saul tendency is leaking through. One more time. If you tend to see visions as separate rather than singular, a Saul tendency is leak, leaking through. Well, that's what you're going to do, but that, that's not what I'm going to do. Me, my Saul tendency. To add one more point, if your first thought when hearing about the Balkan bow is what does that mean for me? Then you know you must put Saul to death here at this altar. If the Saul tendencies touched a place in your heart, don't move on from it. Let that be a moment where we're identifying something that is going to die. <clears throat> if the Saul tendencies didn't touch your heart. Let's talk about Jonathan. Jonathan saw the future kings. Jonathan even financially contributed by giving his bow to David. Of course, Jonathan also could not break from his worldly allegiances fully and join in with what God was obviously doing in David. Many of you in this room that aren't Saul are in fact Jonathan. I'd like to visit James 3 with you as we do this so that you can catch the piercing arrow of God's word here. James 3.13. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Are you willing to contribute financially to the sending of others? Are you willing to verbally shower affirmations on them that all they're doing is right? But your own conduct shows that you do not plan to join them. Favoring instead to show deference to the empty way of life that your father's handed down to you. Let's continue on with verse 14. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do you verbally state that what we are teaching is true, but you personally possess other dreams and ambitions in your own heart? Other dreams. Other ambitions. Jonathan was all for David, except he wasn't actually with David. The place your feet are on any given day actually shows where your faith is. Where your feet are on any given day shows really where your faith is. See, many of Jonathan's deeds were with David. All of Jonathan's words were with David. But where were his feet? He was standing with Saul. Do you need to draw near to the mountain today? To place your feet on the mountain that your feet and your faith are showing a unified, untainted view of what is really going on? Do you need to kindle the fire of God so that you are not false to what you know is true? See, knowing something is true only makes you more guilty if you don't actually put your feet where you know the truth is. That's why James uses the phrase false to the truth. You know it's right. You agree it's right. You'll even throw some money at it. But when it comes down to breaking from every worldly allegiance and actually doing it, we'll just acknowledge it's right and we'll throw some money at it and we'll applaud those that are doing it. That's not what bowmen do. Verse 15, James makes this very clear so that nobody can miss it. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, in every vile practice. The bow was set in the clouds and is not based on earthly wisdom. Worldly allegiances are earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So look, you may not be Saul, but if you have frequent disorder in your thoughts over warring desires within you, then you are definitely Jonathan. Warring desires. Oh, I want to see the Middle East taken. No, I don't want my children to go. Warring desires. Oh, I, I, I want to support what they're doing, but there's no way that I would risk my job. Warring desires. Jonathan seems so committed that I've preached many sermons myself about the nobility of Jonathan. But why did he die in battle with Saul instead of be standing as a mighty man next to David? Close is not good enough. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because I love you all a lot. And I really want to encourage you. 2 Samuel one twenty seven says something in the lament of the bow that I've lived to see many times over. 
How the mighty, what are they? What are David and Jonathan? Mighty. mighty. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. Whether from Saul or Jonathan, any of the items that we've discussed have the potential to steal your mighty man status and leave your bow in defeat on the battlefield. It's not enough to just generally support what's happening. It's not enough to verbally applaud those that are doing it. That will take your mighty man status and cause it to perish on the battlefield because your words and even financial contributions do not constitute putting your feet fully in what God is saying. If you want to complete the great calling of God and you want to continue in your bowman status that you've always been called to be, this altar is going to be open so that whether Saul or Jonathan tendencies, they may die. I want you to get this. Otherwise, some clown will stand up at your funeral someday that you're Worldly allegiances in your family higher. And God will be singing the lament of the bow over your funeral. As heavy-handed as all of that sounds, when spoken to a people that we spent an hour praising the genuineness of what we see in you, understand this is what it means to circle back to the very first point. Keep your own soul diligently. Close is not good enough. Generally for it, not good enough. I have known many mighty men that were great bowmen for a time. But at some point their feet were not actually standing in the middle of what God was doing. And all of them have perished. I don't want that for a single person in here. This altar is going to be open so that you can fight to keep your bowman status by eliminating all selfish ambition, all competing dreams, all petty jealousies and rivalries. No bowman is insecure about his brothers. Cannot happen. Would you please stand to your feet? The work before us is great. So the inward work of watching your soul diligently must be equally as great. Father, we're turning over this meeting inspired by you to the very presence of your spirit of holiness. Lord, we have great hopes for your body in this place and throughout the One Association. We are asking, Mighty One, that you would purify your body. That harmful contaminants would be removed so that we might hit the target. And not just talk about the target. Not just fund the target, but actually be a part of hitting the target. Lord, do as only you can do by way of your spirit in us now. 
the leprosy out of our hearts. Remove the unleavened bread. Lord, reveal it to us that we might kill it once and for all and stand up in the call of God. 